Amen. Children, you are now dismissed, and uh, as you are taking your seat, please welcome the person next to you, say hello, greet them in the name of Jesus. Well, church family, we are blessed to gather together as the body of believers. And it is just so powerful to be together, worshiping the Lord together. And let us just continue in that spirit of worship as we open up to the book of Revelation. And we're challenged by Jesus as he writes to the church in Philadelphia. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask for you to fall fresh upon us this morning. I thank you for us singing the, the name of Jesus this morning, glorifying high, lifting up the name of Jesus. I pray that you'll be with us this morning. As we open up the word of God, your holy word, that we will be transformed, not just informed. May this word go deep into our hearts and may we leave this place different people with a different vision, with a different passion as we walk through the door that you have for us. In your name, amen. Amen. For me personally, I, whenever I read through scripture sometimes, epic tales, stories come to my mind that help illustrate what's happening uh, in this specific space of scripture. Maybe you're a geek like me and that's just how you, how you live your life, but Lord of the Rings is often one of the ones that kind of comes to my mind. And as I was reading this passage about an open door, uh, at the end of the return of the king, there's this space where Aragorn, king of Gondor, who's the rightful heir, has to go and get a group of people who are half dead, half not. It's kind of a strange scenario. He has to go get them to fight for him. And as he goes into the cave, you know, the, the king of this group of people comes to him and says, the way is shut. And you're like, whoa, that's okay. Well, these guys aren't going to help him out. And he says, you know, the way is shut until he comes. We will not suffer any man. And then Aragorn, with all of his passion and power, pulls out the sword that's the key to the open door, and he says, you will suffer me. It's a powerful moment. You see, the sword was the sword of Gondor, and it had been shattered. It was Narsil. Now the elves reforged it into Andoril. And he was able to use the sword as the key to open up the shut door. See, that just comes to my mind. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that God gives us keys to an open door. He is going to show us Christ as he talks to the church in Philadelphia. I know it's ironic that we're talking about Philadelphia when today's the Super Bowl and Philadelphia is playing in the Super Bowl and will lose in the Super Bowl. But we have an open door. And the, the enemy of our souls would love to convince us otherwise. As we look around in our culture and we look around at what's happening in the world, we might get dismayed and we might say, ah, oh, 
man, there's no open door. Everything is being shut to Christ, and everything's being shut out, and man, there's just no open door. But that's not true. Even just the fact that Generation Z, the generation that has the least amount of churched people in it, has started a revival. Amen? Generation Z, the one that looks, that it's like, ah, they might not make it. They're opening up the doors of revival through their repentance and their passion for the presence of the Lord. The door is open. And just like Philadelphia, we have an open door. We need to walk through it. Because Christ-given opportunities are ours to capture if we walk through the open door. They're ours to capture if we walk through the open door. So how can we walk through the open door? I believe that we'll see five keys from this passage. So if you'd open up with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, we will see not just the open door, but how we can walk through the open door. Revelation chapter 3, 7 through 13, it'll be on the screen. Open up your scripture to it, or if you're online, it'll be on your screen as well. The word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Man, what an awesome passage of Scripture. Most of the other churches outside of Smyrna have gotten all kinds of bad news. They've gotten all kinds of things that were coming against them, but Philadelphia is commended. Philadelphia is encouraged. Philadelphia is empowered in this passage, and I believe that we can see five keys for ourselves, not just for Philadelphia, on how we can walk through the open door. The church in Philadelphia was not a huge uh, church. It was not a giant city, per se, either, but it was a wealthy city. There was a lot of farming that transpired because it was near a volcano. Outside of the city was excellent, fertile soil that would be utilized for grapes and all kinds of other farming. It was a very, very special land. And in fact, there, it was so important for grapes and wine that Dionysus was the Greek god that was their patron. 
And we see this throughout the story of Philadelphia, that things were good and things were bad. Because there was a volcano, there were often earthquakes that happened. And in 17 AD, the entire city was leveled. But by the time of this writing, the, the, the city had been rebuilt into a new Philadelphia. The city was utilized as the, uh, the evangelistic Hellenistic core where the Greeks wanted to spread Greek culture, they used Philadelphia as the launching city to spread Greek culture throughout that area. And it worked. They were essentially a Hellenistic missionary city. And inside this city was a church in Philadelphia. Small, as we see, yet powerful. How did they get encouraged? What were they doing right And what was Christ calling them to? Well, I believe, like I said, there's five keys on how we can walk through the open door. And the first key that we see is the key of Jesus. Jesus alone is the way through the door to the Father's presence. Jesus alone is the way through the door to the Father's presence. Jesus is described here as holy and true to the church in Philadelphia. Jesus speaks no lies, says no lies, does nothing deceitful. He is other than, fully set apart, and he is holy and true. We see this beautiful picture of Jesus as the one who opens doors and shuts doors. And any door that he opens can never be shut. And any door that he closes can never be reopened. We see a picture of of Christ as powerful, as as strong, as someone who cannot be pushed out of the way, someone who is powerful in the midst of the church in Philadelphia. We also see this, this phrase, the key of David. Well, what does that mean? The key of David is an image from the Old Testament where Eliakim was the steward of Hezekiah, And he alone had the authority to allow or disallow people into the presence of the king. So the key of David is this key that gives us the access to the presence of God. And Jesus alone is the only key into the presence of God. Now, for the Philadelphians, this would have been a really, really good piece of news because the Jews in the city of Philadelphia were blocking the Christians from the synagogues. They said, no, you're not one of us. You're not a Jew anymore. You're something different. We hear all kinds of weird things about you Christians, you cannibals who eat the the flesh and the blood of Jesus. You're a bunch of weirdos. We will not let you in the synagogue. And so they were blocked, essentially, from the presence of of God. That's what these Jews were trying to do. Saying, you no longer have the right to be with us in God's presence. And here Jesus says directly to the church in Philadelphia, I'm the key of David. Not them. They don't hold anything. They're just human. But I am the holy, true one. I am the way to the presence of the Father. No other way can you get to the presence of the Father. And so the Philadelphians would have been encouraged. They would have been delighted to hear this word. Patterson, he says this, This illusion is almost certainly what was in the mind of John when he identified the risen Lord as the one who holds the King of David. Access to God is ultimately through Jesus alone. 
This is a message that the world needs to hear. Jesus alone is the way. Jesus alone is the way. But this also speaks to the ultimate omnipotence of Jesus himself. Because what Jesus determines to do will be done no matter what. What Jesus determines to do will be done no matter what. That should encourage us as believers. Because Jesus says he's going to do a lot of things. And Jesus, when he said in the New Testament what he was going to do, he did it. And there is proof outside of the Bible that shows that Jesus did what he said he would do. The resurrection is probably the most powerful evidence of Jesus' truth. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians that if we don't have a risen Christ, we don't have a true faith. And there's more evidence for a resurrection than there is for not a resurrection. Jesus is the only way. And Jesus, when he determines to do something, will do it. And so as he's sharing this conversation, this letter, this beautiful written letter to the church in Philadelphia, he says, no one can stop me. These Jews that are blocking you from the synagogues, they think that they have power, but they are weak compared to me. The world around us thinks that it has power, but it is weak compared to Christ. And the second key is the key of seeing. Seeing the open door is the first step to walking through it. Jesus opens the door, and we must see the door that he has opened for us. That sounds kind of, oh yeah, no, duh, right? You can't walk through a door unless you have your eyes open to see that the door is open. But he brings attention to the church in Philadelphia for seeing, because he says in verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. He's trying to get them to look and see, open up their eyes. He says, I know your works. I know everything that you've been going through. I know your suffering. I know your pain. And I know that you have stood the test of faith. But behold, I have an open door for you. The Greek word for behold here is idu, and it means to look or to see, but it's an emphatic word. It's not just like, hey, see that thing over there. It's, look, see this thing, pay attention. I mean, when you read that stuff, and you're like, oh, behold. Like, we're like, oh, behold. But no, if they were reading that in the Philadelphians, they'd be like, woo, he wants us to look at something. Like, really seriously, he's trying to get our attention because he's using an emphatic word. Imagine, like, you text somebody all lowercase, hey, look. And then you text someone all uppercase, hey, look, which one seems a little bit more emphatic? The uppercase. Some people, some of you write uppercase all the time, and everyone's like, why are you yelling at me all the time? Use lowercase every once in a while. It'll be okay. But he's trying to get them to see you have an open door. And he uses this phrase, open door, twice. He says that Jesus opens the door. Jesus is the key of David to show them that they can enter into the presence of God. But he says, behold, I have an open door for you specifically to the Philadelphians. He, he is ministering to them by saying you have access to the presence of God and the Jews can't stop you. But he's saying, listen, there's also an open door that I have opened for you. 
And it's not just the presence of God. There is a missionary call on you as a church. You are to go forward and live into your missionary call. The church in Philadelphia would have known that the Greco-Roman culture set that city aside as a missionary city for the Hellenistic culture. And here, Jesus is saying, use the same pathway. It worked with the Greco-Roman spreading of, of their culture. You are a church who has an open door to go on mission. Walk through the door. We have access to the presence of God. We have the key of David who opens the doors for us, and we have an open door. And we look at this in Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, and 2 Corinthians 2, 12. He talks about open doors consistently, about going into the Gentile world for the purpose of mission. Let me say something for you to hold on to. All of Jesus, for all the world, is our missional motto. All of Jesus, for all the world, is our missional motto. We, as a church, have an open door. Because when Jesus says, you have an open door, no one can shut the door. No one can stop what God is going to do. You and I have a decision to walk through the door, to see the door, to move on mission, all of Jesus for all the world, or we can just sit still and do nothing. But God will have his way. God will use someone. Don't you want to be that someone? Don't you want to see the world turn to Christ? Don't you want to see people who are dying come to life? Don't you want to see a world transformed by the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Then why don't we do it? Why don't we walk through the open door that we have? This is the time. We're seeing God do remarkable things. Revival is happening, and I pray it continues throughout our country for the next month, two months, three months. But it's about awakening the church, like we talked about last week, to be revived, to go out and be on mission. Becoming awake is not about screaming about the culture around us. Becoming awake is being revived to the passion of mission, to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That should be our motto. The CMA was founded upon this powerful belief that we go on mission for all of Jesus, for all of the world. Churches were not called churches in the early time of the CMA. They were called mission outposts. That's pretty sweet. We should call ourselves a mission outpost again. Although we are a church, we have the connection of singing and worshiping and taking the Lord's Supper together and baptizing and proclaiming the word. We should be a mission outpost. We have an open door as well. Wearsby encourages us, we must also love a lost world and seek to reach unbelievers with the good news of the cross. This church had a vision to reach a lost world. And God set before them an open door. Philadelphia was perfectly located to go into the rest of that part of the world 
and proclaim the truth of Jesus. I want you to see, Indiana Alliance Church, we also have an open door. We have a college campus that's a mile and a half away from our church, where the nations literally show up to have an education. We have an open door. We have access to more of the world than many other believers would even imagine. Why aren't we taking advantage of it? Why are we not walking through open doors? I've been thinking about open doors a lot lately because God has been randomly, to me, opening up all kinds of different doors. I don't know if you've been following some of the things I've been writing in our emails or what some of the stuff that I've been asking you to pray about, but a couple weeks ago, I was asked to lead a, teacher tra- or a parent training for parent engagement night for all of our Indiana school district for parents in a secular world, in a secular school, at a secular time. I was able to share with parents that one of the best ways for you to help your adolescent have a better mental health is to get them into church. Because 24% of adolescents who practice their faith and who are part of a faith community have, health, have healthier mental health than others that do not. Man, we have an opportunity. And then the very next day, I was able to proclaim for 40 minutes the truth of the gospel in a high school social studies class. Because one of our high school students said, my pastor could come in and talk about Christianity if you want. And they asked me question after question, heaven and hell, goodness and badness, sin, Jesus, my own testimony. The very first thing they said was, why don't you share with us why you're a Christian? You see what I'm saying? Like that, God is setting us up for an opportunity to go into the world with open doors. We need to see the open doors. The enemy is dumb, but he pretends like he's really smart. But he just uses the same stuff over and over again, over and over again. If you were to look at where we're at as America, we're not as bad as the Greco-Roman world was, but we're on the way. But if, the, if Christianity couldn't invade the Roman Greco world, man, I tell you, it can invade the American world. Because nothing can shut the door that Jesus opens up. The third key is the key of breaking lies. Allow the word of God and the truth of your identity to break the lies of Satan. Allow the word of God and the truth of your identity to break the lies of Satan. Look at verses 8 through 9 again. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie that I have loved you. Here he's speaking words of identity over to the church in Philadelphia. They believed that they were a small, powerless church. Yes, they were being faithful. Yes, they were standing up to persecution. Yes, they were continuing to go deep into the Word of God and have a a life that was patient endurance. But they thought of themselves as small. What influence could we have? What could we possibly do to transform this world? They might have been walking in doubt with their own ability to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And doesn't the enemy speak the same thing to you individually? What what could you do? 
I mean, you don't have any degrees in the Bible. You you go to the Bible study once in a while. Like, really? What, what can you do? But here he says, even though you're small, you've kept my word. You have kept my word. And that gives us the truth of who we are and breaks the lies of Satan. He says that they're the synagogue of Satan, those who are speaking against you, the synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews, but they're not, and they will recognize that I love you. These are really strong words. This is not something that you could just kind of gloss over, like, oh, synagogue of Satan. <laughs> That's, he's like, these people are serving the enemy, trying to attack you, to derail your ability to proclaim the good news, but they can't. They might say they can. They might look big and bad and ugly, but they've got nothing on Jesus. Nothing on Jesus. They weren't a wealthy church with all the glitz and glam, but they also did not fall and fail like those other churches who were bigger, better, and had more money. They didn't. They stayed true to the Word of God. They followed what God was saying. Wearsby puts it this way, It's not the size or strength of a church that determines its ministry, but faith in the call and command of the Lord. God's commandments are God's enablements. If Jesus Christ gave them an open door, then he would see to it that they were able to walk through it. N.T. Wright, a Christian historian, says much of the same thing. If God is saying there's an open door, if Jesus is saying there is an open door, he's going to give you the capability of walking through it. No matter what the enemy might say, no matter what culture might look like, no matter the lies that may come against you about being small or powerless or no influence or no degree in anything that would help you preach or proclaim the good news of Jesus, all you need is the Holy Spirit because Jesus died, rose again, and sent the Spirit of God to empower us to go and proclaim the good news. One of the, things I, one of the reasons I was sitting there thinking, why? Why don't we have revival more like what's happening in Kentucky? And I thought to myself, why don't I get involved in more revival like that? And it was a pretty simple answer because it, it, it takes time. It, you know, like they're sitting there not going to class. The professors have canceled classes. They might miss the Super Bowl. <gasps> but we have all these things in our, oh, I got to get to work. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. We make excuses to not sit and bask in the presence of God. We make the same type of excuses to not go out and proclaim the truth of God, even though we have an open door. As transformed people, we should be used by God to transform the world. All of Jesus for all the world. If you're faithful and keep the word, no matter what the enemy says, you are qualified because we are identified with Christ and therefore qualified by Christ to be on mission. If you've been believing the lies of the enemy that says you're incapable of bringing the truth of the gospel to your job or to your family or to your friends, break that lie off now in the name of Jesus because Christ identifies you as a child. If you believe he died on the cross for your sins, that you confess and repent that he is Lord, repent of your sins and believe that he rose again. You are saved. You are a child of God and you are identified with him. He loves you and gives you the empowerment to be qualified. That really has nothing to do with you in, in essence. It has everything to do with him. 
Osborne says it this way, Christ is promising these persecuted Christians that they would be vindicated by God. And this is a theme that will appear again and again in the book of Revelation. That meant in the end, Christ wins. The fourth key is the key of obedience. Long obedience in the same direction is a vital component of discipleship. He says that you have been walking in patient endurance, which someone, a pastor friend of mine, said that that, that's this aspect of discipleship that's long endurance, long obedience in the same direction. They just kept going. Long obedience in the same direction. And here he's saying you, you have had long obedience in the same direction because you have kept my word about patient endurance. This church, they wrestled with persecution, yet they stayed faithful. Yet they continued walking in the same path that Christ had set before them. And there's an interesting thing in this passage that transpires where if you continue reading on, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. A couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, how I'm not a pre-tribulationist. A lot of pre-tribulationists use this passage to say, he's saying that if we're faithful, we'll be taken out before tribulation happens. But if you were to work through the Greek in this, that's not necessarily what he's saying. Because if you look at the two words, if you keep my word, I will keep you. Well, do you keep your word away from the world? Are you holding it and, and keeping it secret and hidden? No, you're keeping it by following it. And so if we're following the word of God, he will keep us. He will hold us and protect us in the time of trial. Osborne says it this way. Connect this with John 17, 15, where Jesus says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It's the same exact wording. Gundry argues that this must have a local force, this, this word meaning protection out from within the trial. In this sense, it connotes not exemption from trials, but protection within trials. I'm not here to necessarily debate the truth or whatever of, of pre-tribulation uh, or not. You can hold whatever view you want because there's no really clear understanding. But my hope is that the church would not lean so deeply into pre-tribulation that if tribulation happens and they're not taking out of it, that they run away. We need to be prepared for anything and all things, including tribulation, suffering, trials, tribulations. So even if you have a pre-trib example of, of, of theology in your mind, just be ready. There might be persecution that would happen anyways. Be prepared. That's what Jesus calls us to be. But what really matters throughout the entirety of Revelation is in the end, Christ wins, Satan is defeated, and believers rule and reign with Christ. In the end, Christ wins, Satan is defeated, and believers rule and reign with Christ. Amen? That is the beauty of the story. But you and I have an open door to help bring more people into faith, that we can be used to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And the fifth key is the key of overcoming. 
Rewards await the one who overcomes. Over and over again, we see this truth of overcoming. And rewards that await the one who overcomes is a consistent theme in these seven church letters. You and I have the ability, the capability to overcome what the enemy throws at us, not in and of our own power, but through him and him alone. And the rewards that we see here, basically when he talks about the pillars and he talks about the beauty of connection with God with a new name, essentially the two things that matter are that we have stability and intimacy. That when we follow the path of long obedience in the same direction, God will bless us with stability and intimacy. The world might be crumbling around us, but he will make us solid and stable in the midst of the chaos. My whole hope this morning is that you'll be encouraged to step through the open door that God has provided for you. The goal of revival is to glorify Jesus, to repent of our sins, and to go on mission. May we do it. May we do it. And as we sing this, these last couple of songs, Ask the Lord what, what you're to do. If there's repentance that you need to have in your life, repent. The altar is always open. If there's things that you need to get right with the Lord, get right with the Lord. If you know that you've been avoiding mission that God has called you to, stop avoiding it. See the open door and walk through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. I thank you for this letter to the Philadelphians. Father, I know that I've missed a lot of open doors in my own life because I've been waiting for other doors to open and miss the ones that you had already opened. In the name of Jesus, I pray that we will not miss open doors. Jesus, I pray that as we've been hearing this word from, from your mouth to the Philadelphians, that we'll be convicted and convinced that our motto should be all of Jesus for all of the world. May we not be distracted. May we not believe the lies of the enemy. But may we go forward in power proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen.